And something on the table right now is vaccine passports, vaccine certification, certification and passports for travel and entry into business, essentially creating a class of society, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. The privileged who are vaccinated can travel, enter businesses, X, Y, and Z, where the unvaccinated cannot. And based on what? As I mentioned, 80% of people who contract COVID-19 can recover without any special treatment. It affects the elderly, poor health, overly obese, according to the WHO World Health Organization, information that dates back to the beginning of the pandemic, circa March, April 2020. According to health officials, this may not be a general consensus, but at least here in Canada, where I hail out of, we have health officials who say that Vaccination does not guarantee immunity. So a vaccination doesn't even guarantee immunity from COVID-19, yet these vaccination passports and certifications are being pushed. The narrative is being shaped, and social media platforms are censoring the alternative voice to this fear-mongering and panic surrounding COVID-19. I myself respect others in their health strategy. You have your health strategy, I have mine. We all have access to information. We are allowed to go out and make our own educated health decisions, which should be private in a free democracy. And censorship of opinion, opinion that is in the public domain, all of which I've said can be found on the WHO World Health Organization website, and it's information that is spoken about in major media sources, yet the narrative being pushed and twisted is that vaccination is the end-all and be-all to the COVID-19 situation, and anyone who considers otherwise is a hazard to society and humanity. Essentially stripping us of our privacy and several civil liberties. What's happening, y'all? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent August 8th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. 
If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs, forever. Squawk. Very vital. Opinionated squawking in these times of censorship, pandemonium, pandemic, paranormal. Whatever word starts with P, you know? Pussy. Public opinion. Current events, entertainment, the time to the time, the whole kit and caboodle, folks, you can't go wrong. We dish it up. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, if you are digging the show, folks, please... Help my black ass out. All right? Sharing's caring, folks. You know what truly is. And I dish that little sale, that little plug. I dish that one up every episode. This episode in particular, I would like to reinforce the idea of sharing is caring in this world during these times. Pandemic 2020 and currently 2021. You know, on August 8th, 2021, I'm sending an SOS out to the world, folks. You know, stand up during these times of censorship. Give your opinion. This situation is an individually based um, solution. We're living in a time where we're facing a virus, coronavirus. We we are no closer to any understanding who, what, where, when, why, and what the fuck is COVID-19. We are no closer to the truth on how it originated, where it came from. The statistics according <clears throat> the statistics according to the WHO World Health Organization website, for the most part, are generally unchanged since the beginning of this pandemic. 80% of people who contract COVID-19 can recover without any special form of treatment. It generally affects the elderly, poor at health, and overly obese. Generally speaking, children are immune to it. There are cases, obviously, where children contract it, but generally, they are immune to it. It affects those demographics, the elderly, poor at health, and overly obese. And during this time of uncertainty, there's a lot of fear, a lot of pandemonium induced by the pandemic. And something on the table right now is vaccine passports, vaccine certification, Certification and passports for travel and entry into business. Essentially creating a class of society. The vaccinated, the unvaccinated. The privileged who are vaccinated 
can travel, enter businesses, X, Y, and Z, where the unvaccinated cannot. And based on what? As I mentioned, 80% of people who contract COVID-19 can recover without any special treatment. It affects the elderly, poor in health, overly obese, according to the WHO, World Health Organization. Information that dates back to the beginning of the pandemic, circa March, April 2020. According to health officials, this may not be a general consensus, but at least here in Canada, where I hail out of, we have health officials who say that vaccination does not guarantee immunity. So a vaccination doesn't even guarantee immunity from COVID-19, yet these vaccination passports and certifications are being pushed. The narrative is being shaped, and social media platforms are censoring the alternative voice to this fear-mongering and panic surrounding COVID-19. I myself respect others in their health strategy. You have your health strategy, I have mine. We all have access to information. We are allowed to go out and make our own educated health decisions, which should be private in a free democracy. And censorship of opinion, opinion that is in the public domain, All of which I've said can be found on the WHO World Health Organization website. And it's information that is spoken about in major media sources. Yet the narrative being pushed and twisted is that vaccination is the end all and be all to the COVID-19 situation. And anyone who considers otherwise is a hazard to society and humanity. Essentially stripping us of our privacy and several civil liberties. Now, don't shit the bed over this, folks. It's not quite there yet. We're in a time right now of um, reintegration post-pandemic. Still a lot of fear-mongering, uncertainty surrounding this whole situation. And to be at each other's throats. To be at each other's... Oh, maybe I got COVID-19. <laughs> Kidding. I don't have COVID-19. But like for some reason I'm stuttering. You know, maybe a fucking virus poked up in my vocal cords mid-podcast. It's hot. I'm sweating. Dry mouth. COVID-19. Now, I hope I didn't scare the living shit out of you with that tepid little hack joke. But you see my point. 
during this time, it uh, doesn't benefit anyone to be at each other's throats and to be so divisive and un, unsympathetic to other people's um, needs and opinions. So yes, while this is a very much uh, serious situation, not to be taken light of, pardon the belch, um, we do have a road ahead of us. And um, I personally believe things are on the up and up. Ain't no need to shit the blanket over this fear and pandemonium and censorship of which I will speak more on in this program. But suffice to say, now more than ever, now more than ever, we need to pull together and um, find some humanity. You know? Find some empathy and understanding for one another. Do unto others as you will have done on to you. Yes. So to begin with this episode, if you know, if you don't know, if you may or may not know, I am an actor extraordinaire. That's been in the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. Yeah, um, been trotting them boards, boy, for a minute. Stage, independent film. Um, you know, living the life of as an, as an actor, living that lifestyle. And, um, couple interesting, um, engaging situations this week for me. I recently stumbled across an, an old television drama. It's episodic uh, and it is um, a new story every episode. Um, It's a new script, new story every episode and um, it's called Craft Theater. I think it's called Craft Theater. Craft Theater. Then it was rebranded as crisis and it was like an hour-long drama um with you know a new script every episode a new drama every episode it ran from like 1963 to 1967 you can find this online there's episodes uploaded to various video streaming sites some of the best actors of the day and such a high quality program. I took a lot of inspiration from it this week. I saw a few episodes with like Robert Duvall, um, James Whitmore. If you remember James Whitmore, he was the elderly fella with the Raven in Shawshank Redemption. His little Raven buddy, what was his name? You know, every now and then Joe comes and sees me. I got a job at a grocery store. I wonder if my Jacob, 
if Jake will come and see me, my pet raven. Well, I'm going to go blow my head off or hang myself now because I'm an old ex-con and I'm sick of living. What was his name? Bogsy or Mogsy or something? James Whitmore. Phenomenal actor. Anyways, um, I got to see some of his previous work in this craft theater. Crisis, as it was later rebranded. A great drama program. And again, circa 1963 to 1967, I believe. You can find it online, various streaming sites. James Whitmore, as I mentioned there. Brooks. He played Brooks, I believe, in Shawshank Redemption. James Whitmore, Robert Duvall, Robert Logalia, or Logia. You know, he played... uh, He played... He played Tony Montana's boss in Scarface. I want to underestimate the other guy's greed. Ah ha ha, Tony. You don't trust a guy like the... Oh, what? Because Sosa says so. You don't trust a guy like Sosa, Tony. <laughs> you played Tony Montana's boss in Scarface? You know? Alvira! You want Alvira? Oh, Tony, don't shoot me, Tony. <laughs> you know? Just some great stage and film actors. And uh, it was really inspirational because acting in the craft of it, it has deep roots in theater. Acting obviously came out of theater. Or maybe it started on the battlefield or in the jungles. You know, like if a tiger was chasing you, and you run through the bush, you know, like a, you're like a caveman. You know, like you're like a caveman running through the forest and a tiger's chasing you. And you're like hoofing it through the forest. Then the tiger's about to eat you. You might just pretend to be dead or something. Right? The tiger would walk up. You like scamper off. So maybe acting originated on the battlefield or in the jungles or, you know, as evolution progressed. Could have happened some other way, but it really did originate in the theater for the most part. You know what I mean? Like vaudeville, various theaters, various forms of, you know, theatrical performance. And a lot of these actors in these old um, dramas from like, you know, the golden era or post-golden era television... Actually, I don't even know. We may even be in the golden era of television right now. So a lot of great new content being created. It's just, suffice to say, the actor process, rehearsal and the digging for character work, really churning out that mechanism, turning over the character, flexing that muscle, finding that emotional inner life, marrying it with the physicality of a performance and to be overseen by a director, a writer, an ensemble crew. That is such a theatrical essence. Cast, 
crew, director, playwright, an ensemble. One hand washes the other. Whereas a lot of acting work, especially film work in this day and age, it's very content, content creation. Get it? Just let's get it done. Rehearse it on your own. Get it done. Get it done. Get it done. Glitz and glam. Instagram. You know? Just churn it out. Whatever. The different sort of process. And you definitely see it in the work of, you know, the past. Some of the past actors, they just had a very different aura and magnetism. You know, for example, Vincent Price. Well, I always grew up very interested in artwork. I was an art collector and dealer for much of my life, art historian, that I found a love for theater as I moved over to England to study and romance the notion of art cultivation. You know, just a real character. You know what I mean? And just, just a different aura and charisma. Versus like, a, I don't know, like a Michael B. Jordan, very talented. Or like, a, I don't know, like a Chris Pratt. Or like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, come on. These guys are very talented, but, you know, even myself, as like a Jonathan Ramcharan. Like, what's the charisma of me versus like a, you know, my name's Vincent Price. Or like all these weirdos from the past. They just had a different aura. So, you know... I was very blessed to dig some of that actor legacy this week. And it also got me thinking about attention, focus. You know, here I am as an actor, podcaster, stand-up comedian, performer in general. And your attentions and focuses are very much scattered at times. They have to be. Doing a podcast, marketing, promoting the podcast, trying to get other productions and things going. Your attention is everywhere. And that brings me back to some of that true theater, theatrical essence in the rehearsal process. Just that grind, that relentless grind of Hammering out a script, pouring over it, rehearsing it, trying it this way, trying it that way. Discussions. Late nights sitting up with a brandy and a cigarette. Talking about the works of Bernard Shaw, Tartuffe, Moliere, Tennessee Williams, Shakespeare. (sighs) Another drink, my dear Herbert. Uh, the life of a thespian, you know, I'm like, it's just a real gung-ho, dorky, homework, book, heady, word, play, poet, pedantic, pussy, fucking peckerwood type of lifestyle, you know, like the true artist, the true actor, fascinating, and the attention to detail and the craft that these fucking idiots could pour into their work, it's really something. Telling you, boy. Makes me yearn for that stage again, you know? Yearn for them golden days of doing a play, 
not worried about getting likes on social media or looking this way or looking that way. Just the fucking relentless grind of the theater. Uh, Art is ephemeral, you know? And the attention and focus it takes to do due diligence. When, when you're under them stage lights, boy, it gets hot. And you got to focus and be in the moment. And I recall some of the wisdom, words of wisdom, actor coaches have told me over the days, years of my career. When you're in the moment, I mean, you got to be in the moment. We search for that in any good work. An athlete must be in the moment. A doctor must be in the moment. A construction worker. A pharmacist. An escort. Whatever. You have to be in the moment. Well, as an actor, you got to be in the moment. And it's that intensity of the moment and that attention to detail, that focus... That truly illuminates a performance. And I had some I had some deep thought and appreciation for that this week because as I mentioned, the game that we're playing right now as performers, any performer I would imagine deals with social media content creation. And that's a fragment of their overall vision, a very important, a very meaningful fragment, but a fragment nonetheless. I never wanted to be on social media. It was a happy accident. It was an opportunity to put myself out there as a performer. But my goal has never been to be a social media personality. This is podcasting. This is an opportunity to showcase my acting, my comedy my performing and I love doing it but it's not my first choice it's a fragmented version of my overall dream you know what I mean and that takes a sliver of my attention and it was just really eye-opening to consider that this week because when I was watching as I mentioned, the James Whitmores, the Robert Duvalls, the Roberto Logias, these very talented actors and actresses from the past, they were just so grounded and into their work. It just came across on the screen versus some of the drudgery that I'm forced to just spill out on a weekly basis doing a podcast, you know what I mean? Different animal. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yeah. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah. On my mind this past week was the punch-up. Actors are, rather, comedians a lot of time. Now, I've never gotten this type of work, but there is a facet of work in the stand-up comedy world called punch-up. I don't quite know how it works, but the general gist of it would be you would get hired to punch-up material. 
add some punchlines, some jokes, infuse some humor into a script, a monologue, a comedian's jokes. You would get hired for that service. Punch up. A lot of times, comics are hired to punch up late night show, late night show monologues, movie scripts. You know, let's say a comedian has a clique of other comedians that he or she appreciates. They might hire their friends or even just a lone gun for hire. They might hire another comic to punch up their material. So I was doing punch up on some of my own material, meaning I came up with some ideas, some concepts, some this, some that, that I found humorous. Then I was punching it up for myself, right? And that's a very different discipline. It's very strange. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we're going to play soccer. But here's a question for you. Why are you playing soccer? You know what I mean? It's like, let's say you get hired to play soccer. You're playing soccer and then, okay, now we're going to hire somebody to ask you why you play soccer. Maybe that's not the greatest comparison. But it's like... It's weird. It's like, all right, let's say you create a recipe. I don't know. It's, it's like editing. Yeah, it's like a form of editing, yet it's almost redundant and overdone. Or maybe it's that, generally speaking, as a comedian, the editing process usually takes place on stage. You come up with a joke, you write it out, you do the best you can with the write, you do the best you can with the concept, you take it to stage, and then an editing process organically occurs. You start to see where the joke is, you start to see where the laughter is, you start to see where the timing, the rhythm, the wordplay, you start to see it in real time. So when you're doing punch-up, in a sense it's It's an editing process that just doesn't quite hold the same value as stage performance, stage editing. I guess that's my real point. Because the time-tested true way to see if a joke works is to take it on stage. But if you're just sitting around in a room writing and rewriting jokes, it can be a little tedious and a little... But then again, it's also a form of craft, due diligence, and it can be done. It's just a different way of thinking. You know what I mean? So, that was very interesting for me this week. I'm going to have to keep at that and uh, check in with y'all about that later. A little foreshadowing. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes, quick sip of water, boss. Don't mind me, boss. Ah. Mm. 
Well, business. Let's get down to it. So I've been embroiled and embalmed in business the last, uh, you know, few episodes. Generally speaking, that's what my whole podcast is about, furthering my performing business. But, you know, in the last the last couple months, I've been emphasizing the business aspect of um, what I do as a performer. I've recently started my own production company, Noi Productions, a way for me to branch off into various forms of podcasting, different content, potentially different interviews. I would like to get into documentary film, um, feature film, the whole wackadoo, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole enchilada. So, you know, Noi Productions. It's a vehicle for me to flex that muscle, so to speak. Yes. And, um, you know, in order to facilitate that, I'm a working stiff. Takes money to make money. Like any independent business, you generally build up your capital, put that into your business. One thing leads to another. Everything's bumps a daisy. Well, in theory, sometimes there's a lot of headache and heartbreak. I've recently begun a new job. I'm a temporary laborer. That's quite a blessing to the artist, the independent person. It's a way to gain an income without the bureaucracy and overbearing bullshit of a nine to five. The overlording and micromanaging of an unfeeling uh, control freak uh, job place, you know, stuck at some fucking warehouse, stuck in some office, stuck in some position where you are overlorded and micromanaged and inspected upon. Well, well, as a temporary laborer, you show up to the gig, you do the the gig. Basically, people keep out of your hair for the most part. Well, I had a little interesting occurrence just the other day. I'm working in a factory. It's like factory work. We're on a line. My job is to, you know, take the product off the line and, um, you know, put it into rotation. Take the factory materials off of the line, off of the factory line, get it into rotation for shipment. I got this one coworker who, you know, he's an all right person, but basically he's very fidgety, over anxious and negative. Somebody I would never choose to be personally involved with. I can see the writing on the wall. Sort of a Debbie Downer. Everything that comes out of his mouth is negative. This can't be done. That's wrong. This is wrong. Negative, negative, negative. So like that type of vibe is just unappealing to me. And he's a very nervous type of person, a nervous Nelly, you know, eyes bulging out of his head, running to and fro, all anxious, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. When it's like, where's the fire? A lot of anxiety I find, I know for true in my life, came from my upbringing. I had a very... um, Nervous, imposing mother, you know, 
everything was always wrong and the kids always had to be on their toes because mom's mad. What's going on? What's this? Everything's always wrong. If you, if you were raised in a household like that, you understand the injustice, the anxiety, and the unpleasantness of an anxious state of mind. Calm down. Where's the fire? What's the big fucking deal? Life goes on. And it's a very strange form of punishment to inflict anxiety upon a worker. The reward for doing a day's work is that you've taken the responsibility to do a job and support yourself and earn an income. You show up to the job, you have a decent attitude, you fulfill the duties, you are paid for the duties. But when you are inflicted with anxiety and a nervousness and an overlording, micromanaging rush of demands and um, criticisms, when you've already taken the responsibility to do the job, it's like an unjust form of punishment. It's like, what more do you want from me? I'm here doing the job. I'm paying attention. I care that it gets done properly, yet you want me anxious because the because your coworker's mad. If your coworker has a miserable life, he's going to make sure that everybody else's life is miserable. If my life is miserable, everybody else is miserable. If I'm stressed out, everybody around me has to be stressed out. Have you ever sat have you ever sat next to that person who's always bouncing their knee and fidgeting with their hands and they're always doing something and da, 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 da. it's like completely unpleasant and uncalled for and it goes back to the cradle you know we're all born into these fucked up families that fuck us up and you know it takes a lifetime to get over it it seems <laughs> come back to god but whatever man i got this co-worker who's just a fucking nutcase running around with his eyes bulging out of his head uh. When it's like, it's a factory line. Things are coming down the factory line. Products are being distributed along the factory line. And our job is to take the product off the factory line and put it into rotation. The product comes across the factory line. We take the product, put it on the sales floor, the shipping floor. There's no big deal. Well, this coworker of mine, as I mentioned, anxious, grabbing things, grabbing things, rushing from one station to the next, rushing here, rushing there, eyes bulging out of his head. Yet the factory line is moving at a steady pace. It's just anxiety that he's created in his own head. Well, Instead of hating him, I have chosen to have empathy for him, to try to love him, love my neighbor as I love myself. He actually doesn't get me upset. I just ham it up a little bit for the podcast. I understand he's an anxious person. He's a finicky person. He's a person who overthinks pointless things 
And I have empathy for a person like that because what a pointless way to live. Sure, I have my failures, but I don't overthink basic common sense things that a child can notice. Okay, you want me to take the product off of the conveyor belt and put it onto the sales floor? What else is there to think about? Yet this man is... (laughs) About every little fucking thing. Yeah, I have empathy for a person like that. What a way to live. So anyway, you know, I've actually even transcended patience. I've actually gone into appeasement, which is the wrong thing to do. You know, I have patience for the man. I have patience for him. But yet I also have a sense of appeasement where it's like instead of calming myself down, not getting sucked into and drawn into his overinflated sense of self, his overwrought way of working, instead of just having a calm sense of ease, a calm sense of ease about how I work, I kind of got drawn into appeasing him. And you know, Jonathan, Jonathan, over here, pick up, pick up, pick up, Jonathan, over here, Jonathan, over here, Jonathan, Jonathan, calling me, Jonathan, Jonathan. I rush over to help him. I rush here to help him. I rush there to help him when I should really just calm down, walk over, do the job with a sense of ease. Anyway, the other day, he had me rushing around. Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. In my rush to fulfill his request, I did something stupid. He told me to push a row of frames let's just call them metal frames we had a bunch of metal frames stacked up on a dolly he told me jonathan 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 push the frame push the frame push the frame push the frame towards him now had i been calm and looked at the situation i would have seen oh no that's a stupid thing to do it's going to fall over that's the kind of common sense that i usually rock with the sense of ease and understanding and awareness that's generally how i operate or at least i strive to But in my mission to appease the man, you know, I'm trying to help him and calm his sense of worry. I rushed into his demand blind and, of course, knocked over the frames. The frames come crashing down. The supervisor comes over. Workers are coming over. Oh my God, is everything okay? Is everything okay? Oh my God, what happened? A big deal, a big deal, a big deal. And it was just like, it was almost like some of them were happy. Happy to see a temporary worker like myself and confirm what they've been trying to confirm since the start. I'm full-time, he's temporary. Yeah, I know more about stacking boxes than he does because I'm a full-time worker. That temporary laborer doesn't stack boxes the way I do. You actually have people like this in the workplace. People whose like sense of identity is wrapped up with the petty stupid squabbles of what a bunch of stupid moron people think of them. At a basic common sense labor position. All that matters in a labor position is can you do the job safely and can you show up consistently? 
Yet you have some people who, like I said, full of anxiety, make it more than what it is. Everything's more than what it is. And it's the way I do things. And I'm uh, I'm invaluable. I cannot be replaced because I'm I'm 100% focused and aware of things all the time. Whereas the other person, he doesn't stack boxes as good as me. No way. I'm the better box stacker. I stack boxes better than the next man. I'm the I'm the better back box stacker. I'm the box stacking boss around here, boy. I stack boxes. He merely just moves boxes. I stack boxes. You have a lot of that weird kind of anxious mentality. And it was so interesting because it's like, I saw that, okay, it was a bit of a setup. I'd been set up from the beginning because there was a lot of, like he, like that guy, the anxious coworker, he had a vested interest. He seemed to have a vested interest in how I worked and why I worked and to show me up. I could feel it. I could sense it from him. My experience showed me, oh, this guy's like, not a friend, he's an enemy, and he has a interest in showing me up. Everything I did was wrong, everything he did was right, when it's like we're doing common sense, nonsensical things, like stacking boxes. And the funny thing was too, it's like, why I took the situation as a learning lesson, number one, I'm like, okay, This is a great reminder that I am never going to rush beyond myself for anyone ever again. Like always, it's important for me when I'm involved in a job, when I'm working with people, when I'm working for myself. It is always important for me to do a thorough, good job. That's what I'm here to do. But I am not rushing beyond myself for anyone ever again. I was so wrapped up in trying to keep up with this person. And a part of that's my own ego. I don't want to be shown up by this guy. Yet, he's playing a game. The game is basically, whatever I do is wrong, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever I do is wrong, because he has to be right. If you've ever worked with that type of person, you know? You say, it's this way. They say it's that way. You say it's that way. They say it's this way. A contrarian. Somebody who just is contrary for the sake of controversy. A miserable person, basically. Somebody who doesn't see the value in just doing the job, getting paid, and going home. No, they have to be recognized. When the truth is, you're recognized if you are deserving of recognition, generally speaking. So, it taught me that I'm no longer going to rush for anybody under any circumstance. And, you know, it's kind of funny, man. The world will try to tell you you're stupid and incompetent. Like I said, he rushed me into that situation. I knocked over the frames due to his stupid instructions. Had I calmed down and paid a little bit more attention, I would have seen that what he was asking me to do was completely retarded. But, you know, in my haste that he forced upon me, I made the mistake. And it was an opportunity for those who wanted the opportunity to 
Look at me, oh, the temp. Oh, look what the temp did. Oh, the temp worker. Look at that temp. Oh, right? When it's like, actually, you know what? Like, I'm in the midst of interviewing people for my production company. I'm in the midst of planning various productions where I have to hire freelance people. Like, I'm an up-and-coming small business owner. I'm a performer, content creator. I'm a person doing things. And you are so small as a person that you want to relegate me or it's important for you to relegate me into just an incompetent temp worker. When, for the past month, they would have been backed up and fucked up and backbroken had it not been for my services. They were having a hard time keeping temporary laborers at that site. I was there working due diligently. But yet, like I said, for some people it's important to craft that narrative. In order for me to shine, others must be tarnished. In order for me to look good, others must look bad. So that's the game that some of these pathetic lowlives were playing with me. Child-minded. And the reason why it's impersonal and of no consequence is if it's at this job, if it's at that job, if it's at the grocery store, if it's at the laundromat, if it's at the bank, if it's at the church. Like, you get my point. These situations are everywhere. We live in a, we live in a world of cynicism, motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. It's their world. We're just living in it. So, you know, it was interesting to see that and learn that this week in business. And as I alluded to, censorship in business. I recently have been censored from from YouTube. Yeah. YouTube, the foremost uh, video uploading site in the world has been censoring content creators surrounding the COVID-19 narrative. I made a video discussing vaccine passports. Vaxports. Vaccination passports for people traveling abroad. Proof of vaccination. Certificates for vaccination. Which would invariably gain people access and entry to local businesses, movie theaters, etc. Creating this class of people, the vaccinated, unvaccinated. And what YouTube's doing under their community guidelines is basically anyone who speaks on the conflicting nature of COVID-19 that conflicts with the general um, medical profession, the general medical narrative, even though that is fudged and conflated, even though that is basically an obvious power grab, even though this is a democracy where we're allowed opinion and the privacy to our own health matters and decision-making, we've been censored. They want us to just, whatever the health officials say, they say. 
And of course, they're going to say things that are prorated in their favor because that's how they gain power, control, and influence. I mean, what good is it being a doctor if you don't get the rewards of being a doctor? And I don't mean the Hippocratic Oath or whatever the fuck that thing is, where it's like you pledge to care about your fellow man. Fuck all that. I'm talking about the money, the power, and the influence. I mean, what's the point in being a doctor if people don't see your name in the newspaper, follow everything you say with a godly reverence, and bow down to your feet over every little fucking thing you say, your opinion, your uh, prowess on COVID-19 narratives versus the Joe Blow dummy doorknob who doesn't know whether or not they want to inject an vaccine into their own body. I mean, what, what, what point is it to be a doctor if you can't have all that? I mean, isn't that why we become health officials, medical health officials? Just not to, not to, not to inform the public with their medical uh, options. It's to enforce your will and your, um, your stature. That's why. I mean, obviously. So, um, yeah. And to YouTube's credit, they didn't quite, they didn't quite uh, cancel me. What they did was they gave me a warning, which was swiftly followed up with a strike. So there was a strike against my channel for not following certain community guidelines. If you look at the episode in which I got striked for, and suspended for, my channel got a suspension due to my episode, I believe episode 186, Vaxports, question, 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 question mark, Vaxports, episode 186, I got a strike because of that, and they suspended my channel, and I thought about it, I'm like, well, what should I do, I mean, it is their platform, And they made that very clear. Whenever and to whoever they want to yank content offline from, they're going to do it. They made that very clear with me. And in the news recently, to other major channels, they have done the same thing. So in fairness to them, my material didn't comply with their community guidelines, even though it is obviously prorated in their favor. They gave me an appeals option. I could have fought the claim in appellate court of YouTube, and um, you know, which I did the first time, and of course it was prorated in their favor. It wasn't even it was um, theater basically, and a, a, a facade of democracy. So they yanked my content. And I made a decision right then and there. Um, they're not going to hold that tyranny over my head. They suspended my channel. They said, we understand this must be a very disappointing time for you for right now. But what we suggest in the future is that you... Review your material, diddly dum, diddly do. And yeah, it was sort of an inconvenience. 
And it was a little disappointing. But as I said, they're not going to hold this tyranny over me. So I deleted my YouTube channel. They threatened to take it away. They suspended me. So I did them the favor. I deleted it altogether. And I understand. I understand. It's their platform. They have their way of doing things. It's a facade of democracy. It's a censorship of opinion, public speech, freedom of speech. It's a complete censorship. Um, that's exactly what it is. Then again, it is their platform. And for the foreseeable future, that is their prerogative. And I wasn't going to fight them on it. You know? They suspended me and I just did them the favor, took the channel down completely. And what I'm going to do moving into the future, I'm going to, which I have already done, I created a new YouTube channel to which um, my content will be in compliance to the best of my ability. But um, I cannot live by that tyranny and I won't. So I took it off. I deleted the channel and in the future, it'll be like that. Um, they don't have that power over me. And um, I, appreciate, I appreciate the outlet. I'm going to continue to use YouTube. I think it's a fantastic service. You can get so much information, entertainment. It's just that we're in this time right now of censorship and fear and uncertainty due to COVID-19. There's some irrational things going on. And I guess we're just going to have to bump and grind through it in hope of a brighter day. And the true blessing is, like, I mean, this is all just theater, politic. The information is out there on COVID-19. It's pretty much the exact same since the beginning, as stated on the WHO website. 80% of people who contract COVID-19 can recover without any special form of treatment. It basically affects the elderly, the poor at health, and the overly obese, all of which is a state of mind. To a, to a degree, in my opinion, health is a state of mind. You are not condemned to a life of drudgery and ill health because you are elderly or you have a pre-existing pre condition or you're overly obese. You can look within, find strength to overcome these obstacles and maintain your health. You know, a healthy state of mind really goes a long way. You can't live in this fear and this condemnation because that's just not a way to live. That's not a way to be. It creates illness rather than curing certainly and um, again that's my opinion and uh, in my opinion that's a very logical way of looking at it an apple a day keeps the doctor away there is so much truth in that simple wisdom and again of course I'm not about telling people what to do or not to do 
consult your doctor. Make your own thought-out strategy on your health. But at the end of the day, it is your health. And at the end of the day, it's my health. In a democracy, we have that right to personal privacy in our health matters. And our personal privacy and civil liberties of existence. These vaxports, these vaccine passports and certifications are quite alarming. I mean, they should be for anybody who cares about freedom. If you enjoy basic freedom, then you may want to consider vaccine passports and vaccine certification certifications <clears throat> as an infringement of an infringement on your civil liberties so god bless you all during this time and um you know i extend that out there to my dear audience um I've never sought to tell people what to do other than to express my opinion in a way in which those who agree can find enjoyment for those who disagree to find, you know, a discussion and the universal truth do unto others as you will have done unto you. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this um, magnificent August 8th in the year of our Lord 2021. Yeah. A lot of bumping and grinding and business growth for me this week, y'all. Vaccine passports, censorship in social media. Come on, folks, wake up. These are the times, you know. No matter what your stance, you know, you gotta, gotta consider these things. I mean, our civil liberty depends upon it. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. Till next time. You live it, you love it, you realize it. A height. Peace.